Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Michael Moorcroft. The world is full of unseen forces. Let me be your guide as we lift the veil and peer into the face of the unknown. This is the major as well, your one-on-one guide to all things witchcraft and spiritual. Well, hello there. Thank you for tuning in, and we've got a festive-themed episode this week. As it's nearly Christmas, I thought I'd look into where Christmas actually comes from, as well as winter solstice traditions generally. Spoiler alert, Christmas is a mixture of many pagan beliefs, with many of them coming from either the Roman Saturnalia, which I spoke about briefly last week, and the Scandinavian and Teutonic Yule. Now, the roots of Christmas are over 4,000 years old, And I've also got a slight trigger warning in here that I briefly speak about somebody sacrificing themselves. Now, I delve into history around witchcraft a lot. And I do this because I think it's really important to look into the historic roots of spiritual practice as spirituality and history inform one another and explain our current modes of thinking. Now, today may be a little heavy if you are a Christian. And some of the things I highlight may be seen as downright blasphemous. This isn't my intention. I found interesting historical research and I'm just presenting it and it is in no way, shape or form my intention to insult or devalue anyone's spiritual beliefs or practices. I was slightly worried that I'd ruin people's Christmases with this episode. However, Boris Johnson here in the UK has cancelled Christmas for over 17 million people and has beaten me to it. So there we go. Now, this period of time that sees the last month of the Gregorian calendar, it's the beginning of the winter season in the Northern Hemisphere. Christmas happens as well as the New Year. This period has been historically very important to many cultures around the world. Around the 21st of December, we have the winter solstice, though this date sometimes varies. It's the shortest day of the year, and it symbolises the sun returning. Then we have the 25th, the birth of Jesus, also known as Christmas. 
It's estimated that 2 billion people celebrate Christmas, and you don't have to be Christian to do so. With the winter solstice, the sun sits in the lowest position in the sky for three days. And for three days, the sun, from our earthly perspective, it seems to stop moving. And this is what solstice actually means. It derives from the Latin sol, meaning sun, and sistere, meaning to stand still. On the 25th of December, it carries on in its journey, moving closer to the earth once again. The winter solstice carried a lot of fear for ancient peoples, it's thought. And around the globe, the solstice traditions and ceremonies, all based around this idea of the fear of the failing light would never return, unless we intervened in some form. Without artificial lighting, the darkness must have had a huge impact on people's mental well-being. You can begin to understand why huge parties were thrown, that included feasting and drinking, that is so common at this time. Where were these parties taking place? In some of our largest structures created to honour the solstices. An obvious one that you've no doubt heard of is Stonehenge. Christmas in its current form is a relatively new holiday, celebrating the birth of Jesus. But looking at the scriptures, there's evidence to suggest that Jesus wasn't born on this date. Shepherds wouldn't have been watching their flocks around this time. They aren't in the fields due to the weather. Mary and Joseph travelled to Bethlehem to register for the consensus, but this wasn't done in the winter. There's also references to lambs around the birth of Jesus. Again, lambs aren't born in December. There's loads of other reasons why the 25th can't be the birth of Jesus, but these are the main ones that I liked. Biblical historians place his birth around September. But what is the 25th? Why that date? Well, Mithras, a Persian god who's over 4,000 years old, was worshipped by the Roman male elite. Mithras is the son of the sun and was born on the 25th of December. On this day, cult members would throw huge feasts called Sol Invictus, also the name of an older solar deity. The early church looked to move their celebration of the birth of Jesus to December 25th in the attempt to take the limelight off the pagan festival. This was done in 336 CE by the order of Emperor Constantine, although this date is hotly debated. Earlier Christians didn't even celebrate the birth of Jesus. It was Easter and the idea of his death and resurrection that carried more weight. It took nearly 300 years to accept the 25th of December as the birth of Jesus, and also to start celebrating it. In a letter written in 601 CE by Pope Gregory, he explains why Christianity was absorbing pagan beliefs. Quote, the idol temples of that race should by no means be destroyed, but only the idols in them. Take holy water and sprinkle it in these shrines, build altars and place relics in them. When this people see that their shrines are not destroyed, they shall be able to banish error from their hearts and be more ready to come to the places they are familiar with but now recognising and worshipping the true God. Thus, while some outward rejoicings are preserved, they will be able more easily to share in inward rejoicings. It is doubtless impossible to cut everything at once from their stubborn minds. The details around the birth of Jesus also appear to be borrowed and adapted from other cultures. The birth of Mithras was said to be witnessed by three shepherds who gifted him gold, frankincense and myrrh. King Herod's killings of every male baby didn't happen, and this particular detail looks like it comes from Romulus and Remus, and they were born from a Vestal Virgin, and this is a type of cult in Rome. The idea of the Immaculate Conception appears in ancient Egypt. Pharaoh Amotep III was born in 1600 BCE via his virgin mother, Mutimea, 
His birth is broken into four stages on the walls in a room called the Birth Room in the Temple of Omon in Thebes. The first scene shows a god visiting, Mutamea, announcing that she will give birth to a son. Next, Amon-Ra, a creator deity, inseminates her, quote from the temple walls. Amotep, ruler of Thebes, is the name of the child I have placed in your body. He shall exercise the beneficent kingdom in this whole land. He shall rule the two lands like Ra forever. The next wall depicts the child being born, and finally he is enthroned and is receiving gifts from men and gods. The story follows the exact same formula of the birth of Jesus, with the Annunciation, Conception, Birth and Adoration. Only the Egyptian version is nearly 1,700 years older than Jesus. Now Christmas borrowed a lot from the Roman agricultural festival of Saturnalia. The Saturnalia was originally held on the 17th of December to celebrate Saturn, and also this was the last few days of the longest nights of the year, as after the 21st, the winter solstice, the days begin to get longer. The 17th was chosen as the original date as the Temple of Saturn in Rome was finished on that day, in the year 497 BCE, according to Livius, a Roman historian. It was the liveliest festival in the Roman year, and it originated as a farmer's festival which marked the end of the sowing season. Saturn comes from Satus, meaning to sow. It was celebrated to ease the anxiety of winter, the dark days, harsh weather, and dwindling food stocks. The earth was going through a symbolic death. Saturnalia was celebrated to keep the god of time and agriculture happy. Eventually, this festival was extended to a week-long event, peaking on the 25th of December with free public feasts. So indulgent, this festival became that enslaved people were on hand to clean up the vomit. Little statues made of wax or pottery were gifted, called sigillaria, which is said to have inspired our gift-giving today. Holly was also heavily used throughout this festival, as part of the gift-giving process, as it was sat in sacred plant, but it was also hung up around the house, where it has also leaked into our current Christmas. Class distinctions were ignored throughout the festival, as well as the law, and a king was actually chosen by the community who oversaw the revelry, the king of Saturnalia. He acted as an enabler, and commanded people to drink, dance, do stupid things, whatever he said, you did. All sounds good and fun, however at the end of the festival, he was expected to cut his own throat at the altar of Saturn. His death would mark the return of normal society. Obviously, this has been dropped from modern Christmas parties today. No one has ever sacrificed themselves to Saturn at any Christmas parties that I've been to, but there we go. This tradition of picking a temporary king persisted, although without the sacrifice bit, and the king is chosen by finding a coin, a bead, or something similar in a piece of cake. And this is quite common in France today. Human-shaped biscuits were also eaten. Sounds a little bit like gingerbread men to me. There was also widespread drunkenness, and people would also go house to house singing whilst naked. Carol singers obviously cover up now. Polydor Virgil, a 15th century British Christian, had a lot to say about our current Christmas. Quote, Bacchanalian, dancing, masks, mummeries, stage plays, and other such Christian disorders now in use with Christians, were derived from these Roman Saturnalian and Bacchanalian festivals, which should cause all pious Christians eternally to abominate them. The origins of Santa are very murky, with it being a blend of many customs and sources. Suggestions come from Odin and his eight-legged horse Slepnia, inspiring the reindeers. 
as well as St. Nicholas. I've also spoken about the urine-soaked origins of Santa, with him possibly coming from Siberian shamans way back in Season 1, so excuse the poor sound quality in the Witch's Brew episode. In Nordic countries, the tradition around the winter solstice is called Yuletide, shortened to Yule, which translates to the Old Norse meaning parties. Germanic in origins, but heavily associated with Nordic countries, where it's quite common for the sun to disappear. This festival would be started when the sun could be once again seen, so after 35 days of darkness, scouts would be sent out to look for the sun. Once spotted, they would return, and the celebrations would begin. Traditionally, the same day, a new year would also begin, and the parties would run for 20 days, or until the first full moon in January. As you can imagine, there's a lot of drinking, and also sacrifices were made. Now, these sacrifices were done prior, as well as throughout the festival, and it was done by a vulva, the Viking equivalent to a shaman. She would collect the blood, sprinkle it over the altar, on the walls, and the participants of the ritual. The meat was then cooked and prepared for the feasting. Now, in some texts, there are also references to gift-giving during Yule as well. Yule log cakes derive from a custom where the log must be collected from either the household's land or given as a gift. And the wood was usually from an ash tree. It was placed in the fireplace, decorated with holly, cider or ale would be poured over it, and then it would be dusted in flour and set alight with a piece of last year's Yule log. This would have all happened on the solstice. The log would be burnt throughout the night, and it would smoulder for 12 days before being put out. Now, researching this and researching winter traditions, it's quite common all over the world for whatever you set alight, whether it be a fire or a candle or a bonfire, whatever you set alight, it cannot go out during the night, else it's a very bad omen for the next year and kind of suggests that it won't be a fruitful new year. Now, this ancient pagan Yule was cancelled by Christians. However, for reasons unknown, Christmas actually gained the name of Yule in Scandinavia and was accepted by the church. Hanging mistletoe, also very pagan, the druids regarded it as sacred and took great care when harvesting it. They would climb into a tree where the parasitic mistletoe was growing and use a gold sickle to cut it down. The plant wasn't allowed to touch the floor, it was caught in white sheets. Apparently, if warring Celtic tribes met under mistletoe, they would stop fighting and make peace. The idea of kissing under it came about in the 18th century. New Year's resolutions, they're nothing modern either. This idea of swearing an oath before a new year actually comes from the ancient Babylonians, and they swore it to their gods. Breaking this oath could have very serious consequences in terms of their relationship to the god that they swore the oath to. Wreaths, another pagan idea that runs throughout Christmas. Wreaths were, and, and they still are, a powerful symbol representing unending life, and they were used by the Druids, the Celts, and the Romans. And just before I wrap up, I thought I would share a really beautiful celebration that I came across. So every year in Vancouver, there is the Winter Solstice Lantern Festival, and it's to honour the many cultures within the city. Now, lantern building workshops take place, there's processions throughout the city with fire performances, and then there's the lighting of the lanterns and letting them float up into the night sky. There's also, and this is my favourite bit, a labyrinth of light, built from 600 candles, and those who walk through the maze are encouraged to let go and shed the year about to pass, and to get ready for a new one. 
Christmas throughout history has been banned as a pagan festival, particularly by the Puritans. Oliver Cromwell brought into being a law that outlawed the festival in England, and at one point in Massachusetts, America, anyone celebrating Christmas was fined five shillings. The roots of Christmas essentially lie in a blend of ancient pagan traditions, many of which the early church sought to subtly incorporate and take over in order to convert people to Christianity. It should be noted that these early Christians weren't syncing with pagan festivals in and around the 25th of December. They were actively engaging in a process of demythologizing them. And looking at Christmas and this idea of Saturnalia and Mithras, Christmas is essentially based on the idea of sun worship and there is nothing new under the sun. And majors, that's it. That's a wrap for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. My intent with this podcast is to provide guidance and inspiration for those on their spiritual path and to talk about interesting parts of history relating to spirituality. I also want to connect you with information that is both useful and reliable. Would you like to support me and encourage me in creating more episodes? With your support, I can give the podcast more time and create more quality content. You can support me through Patreon and gain access to exclusive content and be part of the Majors Well community, as well as being in the communal sugarpot spell. The link is in the episode description. You could also support me by following my Instagram at the Majors Well, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and telling your friends about the show. Please get in touch with anything you wish to share at themajorswell at gmail.com and you may just get featured. A big thank you to Coral St. Clair for the podcast artwork. And also thank you so much to my Patreon subscribers, John Island and Billy Cooper. So this week's poem is called The December Calends by Publius Papinius Statiosia. It was written around 45 CE and it describes his attendance of a Saturnalia feast that took place in the Colosseum. The description is beautiful, but some of the language is inappropriate, and there's a slight trigger warning in that it refers to women as the unskilled sex and uses the word midgets. This was written the 2,000 years ago, so they weren't quite clued up on equality. Mighty Apollo and stern Pallas, and you muses away in play, will recall you on Janus' calends. Let unchained Saturn join with me, and December soaked with wine. Smiling humour and wanton jest. While of happy Caesar's joyous day I tell, and of tipsy feasting. Scarce had our aura brought the dawn, and already good things rained down. These the Jews, the easterly sprinkled, whichever are best, of Pontic nuts, and dates from a doom's fertile hills, and plums pious Damascus grows, and figs ebusos, and canos ripen, freely the lavish spoils descend, and pastries and little gayuses, and Ameria's undried apples and pears, spice cakes and ripened dates, shower from an unseen palm. Not stormy highest drenches earth, nor the Pallades with such showers, as rattled down on the Latin theatre, like bursts of hail from a clear sky. Let Jupiter cloud the whole world, threaten to deluge the open fields. So long as our Jove brings such rain, luck along the aisles comes another, crowd handsome and finely dressed, no less in number than those seated. These bring bread baskets and white napkins and elegant delicacies to eat. Those pour out mellow wine freely, so many cupbearers down from Ida. The fourteen rows, now virtuous, sober, are fed with the people wearing gowns. 
and since you nourish so many, Lord, an owner the price of wheat's outweighed. Ages compare now, if it's your wish. Old satin centuries, golden days, never flowed wine so. Even then, nor did harvest anticipate new year. Every order eats here at one table. Women, children, knights, plebs, senate. Freedom has set aside reverence. Why you yourself, which of the gods issues and accepts his own invitation, have come to the feast along with us, now all, now whoever, rich or poor, can boast of dining with our leader. Amid the din, the rich novelties, the pleasant spectacle flickers by, the unskilled sex, unused to swords, take position in warlike combat. They seem like troops of Amazons, in heat by Tanus, or wild Phasus. Here's a line of audacious midgets, whom nature suddenly left off making, and tied forever in spherical knots. They deal wounds and ply their fists, and threaten each other with death. Mars and bloodstained courage laugh, while cranes swoop at their errant prey, wondering at their pygmy pugnacity. Now as the shades of night gather, a scattering of riches provokes tumult. The girls enter, no readily bought. Here's whatever delights the stalls, pleasing forms or established skill. Here the fat Lydian ladies applaud. There are cymbals, jiggling Spaniards, and there the troops of noisy Syrians. Here's the theatre mob, and those who barter common sulphur for broken glass. Meanwhile vast flocks of birds suddenly swoop like clouds from among the stars. Flamingos, pheasants and guinea fowl that Nile, Phasus and Numidia capture. Too many to seize the folds of gowns are happily filled with new-won prizes. Countless voices that rise up to the stars proclaim the emperor's Saturnalia. Acclaim him, leader, with fond applause. Here's the only licensed Caesar band. Barely had darkness cloaked the world when a fiery ball from the arena's mist shone as it rose through the dense gloom. Exceeding the light of the Cretan crown, the sky was bright with flame, permitting no license at all to night's dark shadows. At the sight of it, idle silence and sleep must take themselves off to other cities. Who could sing the free jests, the shows, the banquets, the homegrown foodstuffs, those lavishly flowing rivers of wine? Now my strength ebbs, and your liquor drags me tipsily towards needful slumber. To what distant ages shall this day travel? sacred, undiminished, through the years, whilst Latium's hills by far the Tiber and Rome still stand, and its capital, that you may restore to earth, it shall remain. Peace out, witches. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 